0: We know just what you need and we've got just the cure open wide and prepare for steaming hot cup of freedom
1: I just don't fathom it
0: The Michael Dukes show streaming live across the world
3: Hello, good morning <laughs> Tuesday, The Michael Duke Show, broadcasting live across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station, and or FM translator, and live around the world on the internet at michaeldukeshow.com. It is the Tuesday edition of the big radio broadcast, and uh oof, man, I woke up late this morning. That's never a good thing. Let me just put it that way. That's never a good way to start the day when you realized, oh, man, I'm late. Uh, Anyway, here we are this morning trying to get everything squared away, and uh, we are ready to go. It is Tuesday, which means our usual deep dive into uh, three big topics for the state of Alaska with Brad Keithley from Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. And uh, he's going to come on and talk with us about the weekly top three today. It's the economics of the PFD. We're going to talk about the importance of the PF board, the Permanent Fund Board, and also uh, the conservatives who are ready to spend all the money. I don't, I, that sounds oxymoronic. I just don't think that that I, those two things do not compute. Uh, you keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. Uh, anyway, we're going to talk about that with Brad Keithley here in Hour 1, and then in Hour 2, we're going to be joined... At the end of the show by Chris Story for our weekly uplift and everything else. And uh, that's it. That's that's a good thing. I'd say we just get started. I Stop screwing around. Let's just jump into this and get things rolling. Uh, joining us this morning is uh, the man, the myth, the legend, uh, Brad Keithley, uh, who joins us this morning to talk about the weekly top three. And he's with us right now. Uh, good morning, sir. How are you?
2: Michael, I'm doing great today. How about you?
3: you know not too not too bad, except for the fact that i've just i'm still my brain is still trying to you know <laughs> usually I got time to pontificate to think and everything else, and this morning it was like, oh my God, gotta get up, go, 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 go so a uh, little behind the power curve this morning, but you know. Just,
2: just like a basketball player, don't think, just react.
3: Don't, just yeah, don't, oh, there you go. Don't think, just react. See, I'm not a sports guy, but I can, I can definitely feel that this morning. Um, all right, Brad. Well, let's uh, <clears throat> let's get started here uh, in talking about the weekly top three. We missed you from last week. We know you've been traveling and uh, enjoying yourself and and having a lot of good times. But today we're going to talk about um, the uh, a bunch of stuff. But the first one is the economics of the PFD. Um and how uh, anyway, i just give me give me the rundown here what you're talking about uh with your thoughts on this i can't even I can't even form a cohesive sentence at this point, so let's go
2: well there have been there have been several editorials op eds, uh, including one by me um uh reactions to that articles uh, uh reporting pieces uh this past couple of weeks on the p f d and there's one consistent theme. I would hope not including mine, but there's one consistent theme that I sort of see through all of these. There's two issues that the PFD raise to me. One is the fairness issue. Are we treating middle and lower income Alaska families fairly? The second is the economics issue, the economic impact issue. And that's the issue that's captured by ICER's 2016 analysis that's still valid today, that says cutting the PFD has the largest adverse impact on the overall Alaska economy. the theme running the 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 constant the constancy between the various articles, some of the op eds and uh, and other things uh, that we've seen and heard over the past week is people focusing on the fairness issue, and they want to say and and the fairness issue. Sort of devolves into yes, we know we're treating middle and lower income Alaska families uh, unfairly uh, by using PFD cuts to fund government. But give us that money, and we'll treat them fairly by directing government programs that that respond respond to their needs. Typically, in that in that conversation, they focus on lower income families, and and leave out middle income families, but but. Nonetheless, they try to deal with the fairness issue by saying, we've got a response to the fairness issue. The thing that's that's increasingly troubling me is is very few to none of these discussions focus on the economic issue. It's It's like if you ignore it, it'll go away. The economic issue is cutting the PFD has the largest adverse impact on the overall Alaska economy uh for two reasons one is its regressivity it takes more money out of the people who would spend the money out of the hands of the people who would spend the money middle and lower income alaska families but the second the second reg- the second economic issue is the fact that it focuses all of the burden on alaska families unlike in 49 other states uh they we don't spread the burden to include non residents and non residents would contribute According to the ICER 2016 study, I've updated it to look at uh, at more recent analyses of of, uh, of people coming into this or or non non residents working in the state would 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 reduce the burden on Alaska families between ten and fifteen percent. That is that that instead of a hundred million dollars that Alaskans would have to contribute to, to fund government, Alaskans would only have to contribute. 85 to 90 million dollars, the other 15 to 10 million dollars would come out of of every hundred million dollars would come from uh, would come from non-residents, reducing the burden on Alaskans uh, and reducing the burden on the Alaska economy, making the Alaska economy stronger by reducing that burden. Virtually none of the comments, um, articles, analyses, politicians, statements, Op-eds by the ADN editorial board op-eds in the Juno Empire, virtually none of those confront the economics issue. Sometimes people will say, oh, well, that's based on a 2016 study that, that identified that was focused on the short-term economic impacts on Alaska of PFD cuts. But here's the deal: the factors that influence the outcome of that short-term of those short-term uh, impacts. Are long term. They're persistent. Two things: one, the regressivity that takes more that takes most of the money out of the hands of people who would spend it, middle and lower income Alaska families. That's persistent. It, the regressivity doesn't get doesn't get any less over time. And the second is the is focusing all of the burden on Alaska families uh, by using PFD cuts as opposed to a broader based tax that would that would include non residents. That doesn't change over time. PFD cuts continue to take money out of the hands of, of Alaska families do not have non-residents contributing. So when people say, oh, that's just the, the ICER analysis was just focused on short-term impacts. Well, that piece of the ICER analysis has, is, is persistent, is a, is a long-term impact because the factors that affect it are long-term, uh, are long-term factors. So people just, I'm, I, it's, 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 disconcerting to see people say, oh, we've got to focus on the Alaska economy. We need to, you know, provide jobs to Alaskans. We need to provide income to Alaskans. We need to provide uh, uh, economic, uh, uh, we need to improve the economics of, uh, of the Alaska situation. So a lot of times people say by spending more here or spending more on the con- construction budget or spending to support child care or spending to to, uh, uh, to support K through 12, but here is an example of, of a very real real policy that we know has adverse economic impacts on, on the overall Alaska economy, using PFD cuts as opposed to as opposed to other forms of revenue. That's that's a situation that we know has an adverse impact on the Alaska economy. And people just skip over that. They say, no, 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 no. We don't, we don't want to, you know, you know, we don't want to talk about that. We want to talk about all these other economic factors like. that we we think we can cure by spending money, spending government money uh, to cure them. We don't want to talk about an economic factor that we can control by how we by how we collect the money. So it is disingenuous uh, to me uh, when we see all of these PFD articles and we see, you know, things like uh, an op-ed that says the PFD is primarily a political problem. Uh, Becky Bohr wrote an, an, uh, for the Associated Press an article that's titled "Alaskan's Got a $1,312 300, $1, Dividend Check This Year: The Political Cost of the Benefits High." Uh, 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 a KTUU uh, uh, article that says state lawmakers weigh changes to permanent fund divula, dividend formula ahead of legislative session, and they're talking about you know the the, the fact that that we need to that we can cut the PFD. And we can address the issues of lower-income Alaska families by by government spending. It is it's disconcerting not to see any of those, not to see the ADN op-ed page, not to see uh, articles from the Associated Press or the Alaska Beacon or others, not to see articles in the KT in in the on television, the television uh, commentary, not to see any of those focused on the on the economic impact, and that's. I mean as I say there's two issues coming from the PFD. One is the one is the fairness issue and evidently we can talk about that you know until we're all blue in the face. But there's the second issue of the economic impact and we just don't see anybody talking about that. The yeah. other the other piece of the economic impact is what Rob Myers talks about. What are we doing what are we doing long term? What are we doing by by continually funding more and more government spending by taking money out of the private sector? And creating a dependence on government. That's also an economic issue. And nobody's talking about that. So it's, 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 it's it, as I say, it's disconcerting, it's disingenuous to see people, you know, talk a lot about PFD and talk a lot about the need for PFD reform without addressing the impact of what we're currently doing on the economy uh, through PFD cuts.
3: I thought it was interesting that uh one uh, article that you talked about from the AP because I saw the AP article uh outside of our discussions um for one of the morning well, from one of the morning news roundups and I was like that uh, it just you know the the political cost for the benefit is high I mean what are we talking about here these people love taking that money everybody's on board the, there's a few that are crying about uh Uh, You know, them not following the law, et cetera, et cetera. What real political cost? They're getting everything that they want. I mean, they are getting access to the main piggy bank there and able to spend it on whatever pet project they want. I didn't see a high political cost there. I mean, this last year, there was not a contentious debate over the PFD, right? I mean, the year before, yeah. I mean, there was some some infighting. But uh, this last year, no, it was pretty much, I mean, they knew they didn't have the upper hand. There was no discussion really on the classic formula. The fight was kind of over the 50-50, but really that wasn't even really much of a fight by the time it was all said and done.
2: Yeah, it's a. there was a fight in the House, on the floor in the House. The Senate sort of forced it through, but there was a fight on the floor uh in the House. And that's where uh, uh the representative from Juneau made uh made the, uh, the 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 now infamous statement free rides die hard, right? Right a Democrat legislator. Democrat legislator complaining about, uh, uh, you know, people trying to defend the PFD, which has the largest, which has, which has a positive impact on the, on the constituents that she claims to represent. Um, So there was a fight, there, there was a fight about it in the House, but even there, even there, there wasn't a fight about the economic impact. I mean, Republicans who, who say, you know, the economy is the most important thing that if you, if you get the economy right, the rest of the the rest of government, the rest of the society will fall in place. Uh, uh, fine. We don't need to worry about much else. If we can just have jobs, and we can just have, you know, positive economic economic impact. If we can have income, even Republicans who, you know, prioritize that and say that's the that's the that's the touchstone that they're that they're driving toward. They don't talk much. I mean, Rob's sort of the exception to that. Ben sometimes is the exception to that. But they don't talk much about about the economic impact they don't talk about the economic impact the adverse economic impact of using PFd cuts they don't talk about the fact that using PFD cuts concentrates the burden of government cost of government on only Alaskans without getting a contribution from non-residents like happens in the other 49 states they right. they don't they don't talk about that even so it's 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 disappointing to see that absence of you know, in in a state and and in, and in, in, in with a group that that claims economics are everything, economic, you know, the the jobs and 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 income are everything. Not to have that discussion around uh, around the PFD. Uh, Brad Keithley is our
3: guest. Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Quick tease, Brad. Thirty seconds for number two.
2: Number two is I think it's time to talk about the Permanent Fund Board and whether there need to be changes to the permanent fund board. Uh, There was a good letter to the editor uh, by Larry Smith in the, in the ADN a couple of weeks ago. And uh, I'm going to use that as a jumping off point to talk about the permanent fund board. All right, Brad Keithley
3: continues with us. It is the weekly top three done with number one on to number two. We'll be back with more in just a moment. The Michael Duke show common sense, Liberty based free thinking radio.
0: If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com.
3: Brad Keithley is our guest. Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Sure. Hello. Um, couple comments here one that i saw from uh uh brian uh he was talking when you were talking about non-residents he said but on the other hand the non-residents don't consume much of the way of state services do they question mark uh what's your well yeah. yeah go ahead
2: well some of the non-residents i mean we've talked about this on the show before some of the non-residents are military uh who go to our schools who use our roads who uh uh, who uh, use uh, uh, support services in in some cases? So so that segment uh, certainly does. But but it's non residents may use less. They use the roads. They use the airports. They use they use state funded services that way. But look at what look at what Alaska is giving up compared to the other forty nine states. They wouldn't non residents don't use state services anymore or any less. Uh, than uh, than in other states, but other states view them and view their income uh, or their their purchases in terms of sales taxes, view them as an opportunity to reduce the burden uh, on their in-state residents. And 49 other states in varying ways, some ways through sales taxes, sometimes through uh, uh, income taxes, sometimes through uh, New Hampshire's uh, uh, investment tax but in varying ways, every other state takes advantage of that non of that non-resident income source as a way of reducing the, the burden on Alaska on, on residents. Alaska doesn't. Uh, and as a result, compared to the other 49 states, our residents are burdened much more heavily uh, than, uh, than the residents of other states. So I, we, can, we can debate about how much services they use. We can debate about, Uh, You know, whether they're just fly in, fly out or whether like the military, they're 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 permanently here using the schools and other pieces. Uh, But but the fact is, we're giving up a revenue source uh, that other states use uh, and would could be used to reduce the burden on Alaska families.
3: Uh, (laughs) Anthony says, talking about political costs, you know, he's like, dude. Like twelve percent of the population voted. That means there was only a twelve percent margin of cost politically. It's true I mean really i mean who's is anybody is this thing on? anybody really paying attention i mean that's that's we just saw this election come out here um you know for the local municipalities and and for the for the boroughs and stuff and yeah, I mean eighteen percent uh you know uh eighteen uh, percent turnout I think was the highest uh some of the some of the districts were down as low as 6%. I mean people are just I don't know if they're throwing their hands up in the air or what.
2: Yeah. Well, they may be throwing their hands up in the air. But the but the representatives that we elect, how, what by whatever whatever means or whatever population elects them, they're supposed to be looking out for the economy. I mean that's that's why we elect them. They're supposed to be maximizing the Alaska economy. They're supposed to be looking out for for alaska citizens and reducing the burden reducing the burden of of government costs on alaska citizens and and this group that we've elected by you know by 12% or 18% or 2% or or whatever whatever we've elected them they're not they're 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 looking out they're looking out for a segment of the alaska economy those that currently don't have any revenue burden on them uh they're looking out for that small segment but 80% of alaska families and the overall alaska economy they're not looking out for uh, uh for those people so yeah we 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 elect them with a with a small with small number participating but they're supposed to have the broader view brad you're awake you've
3: been up for a while obviously how are things you're doing a music festival right
2: yeah i'm doing a music, music festival out in uh, cape breton out in nova scotia on the other side of the continent i did a calculation when i came here cape breton is as far from anchorage as as cape breton is from rome italy so i'm <laughs> it took me took me a few miles to get here but uh music's been great the food's been great the scenery has been great
3: okay well good well i hope you're enjoying it and uh i know that's your quiet spot out in the world there so i hope you uh I hope you uh enjoy it and relax out there all right, we are about 20 seconds out, ready to jump back into it, The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty Based, Free Thinking Radio. Please like and share, like and follow. Let's get back to it. Here we go. Let's do it now. Okay, we're back uh, talking to uh, Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. The weekly top three. We're on a number two, which is a discussion about the Permanent Fund Corporation board. Uh, politicized? Question mark. Yes, more. No. Uh, what do we need to do, Brad? What's the? What's your thoughts here?
2: I've become increasingly concerned with the direction of the Permanent Fund board uh, is taking. They, uh, the, the thought, the, the thought a few months ago of, of setting aside a portion of the fund to focus on Alaska investments without regard to the returns, uh, that they might generate without, without using the money to seek the best overall return wherever it is in the world, uh, to take a portion of the money and set it aside and focus on Alaska specifically. Um, uh, I was concerned about that because the permanent fund board's Permanent fund's role is to maximize earnings, right? It's not to, it's not to try to be a, a second uh, uh ADA and uh, prop up uh, industries uh, inside the state or prop up industries any place. It's to get get the return, generate earnings. That's its entire entire focus. And the fact that they took a portion of the money and set it aside for in-state projects, sort of duplicating what ADA does, uh, that bothered me. The whole discussion about setting up an Anchorage office. Um, and as sort of a as sort of a first step of slowly moving the permanent fund board, or maybe quickly once they get at it, uh, the permanent fund corporation to uh, to Anchorage, uh, that bothered me. Uh, and now this past week, uh, at the last board meeting, they had a uh, they had a discussion about uh, proposing legislation Some of them had a discussion about proposing legislation to exempt the permanent fund board from the op- open meeting act, uh, open meetings act, uh, and, uh, and allow them to go into executive sessions, sort of on a whim whenever they want to, uh, to discuss whatever they want to, including, uh, including investments and, and investment, uh, policy, uh, which would make, you know, returning to the, let's set aside a portion to, you know, to benefit our friends and friends and neighbors, uh, Uh, by investing in in in-state projects would make that a whole lot easier and a whole lot less transparent to the rest of Alaskans. I think, I think the permanent fund board uh, may be sort of spinning off in a direction that is, that is problematic. It is a political board. Uh, It's appointed uh, by govern by the governors, Uh, doesn't even have legislative confirmation. Two of the members, two of the six members are, uh, members of uh, of the administration itself are have to be commissioners uh, the other four are appointed by the governor and and now given the turnover that's occurred since uh since uh, uh dunleavy took office now all of the uh, appointees are are uh, dunleavy appointees again without legislative confirmation without legislative vetting um and i and i and i think we're seeing a direction we, we see the potential and i in fact, think I'm seeing the the like the 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 actuality of the permanent fund board being used to for political purposes to pursue political agendas um, uh, in priority to uh, its primary purpose of generating generating returns. Larry Smith from Homer, uh, who was the uh, compiler, the editor of of. Um, uh, Governor Hammond's diapering the devil uh, that book was published posthumously uh, Hammond had uh, completed most of it a lot of it came from his prior books but he he supplemented it with additional material uh, great book uh, that talks about Alaska fiscal policy still has relevance today uh, when Hammond died uh, the, the 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 manuscript went to Larry Smith and Larry Smith edited the completion of it Larry Smith had a uh, has a has a a letter in the ADN a week ago uh, that talks about permanent fund trustee selection and talks about it being that we need to professionalize it. We need to need to make it uh, at least subject to legislative confirmation if not setting up a board uh, that that nominates in the, in the same way, maybe a preferable way, but in the same way as the judicial board uh, nominates uh, judges, uh, nominates, uh, professionals, uh, for the, the permanent fund board and, and, and depoliticize it. Uh, the permanent fund board was set up at a time when, Larry makes the point and others have made the point, the permanent fund board was set up at a a time when the state was really just investing in bonds and just riskless, low risk, uh, 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 investments and really was, was just sort of running it like a, like a widow's trust, if you will, uh something that's just you know the the primary objective is to avoid risk. Permanent fund has changed a lot uh since those days well, and it was also in the beginning it was also dealing with fairly low low amounts of uh, of investment uh capital. uh permanent funds changed a lot uh in those days. It is now investing all over the place in uh, in a small share still in bonds, but a lot of it in stocks. And even more of it in alternative equity investments, private fund, where they're co-funding with uh, or co-participating uh, with uh, uh, hedge funds and uh, and investment bankers and uh, in various projects in in ways that aren't always obvious, uh, produce returns but aren't always obvious. Um, in the permanent in the in the permanent fund operation, the permanent fund investments, uh, the size of the permanent fund has changed significantly since uh since its formation so larry makes the point it's it that it's time to reassess how we appoint these permanent fund uh board uh, uh trustees and and how we you know the professionalism that we try to bring to the permanent fund board as opposed to the politicization uh that's been brought to the permanent fund board uh, over the past uh, over the past few years and and concerns about what that politicization is doing to uh investments I think that's I think it's a great letter. I think it's actually it's it's very timely to consider this. Back in the late 1990s, one of the state's regulatory agencies, the Alaska Public Utilities Commission, sort of spun off and did bizarre things. It sort of got into itself and really wasn't wasn't reflecting the policy I think that Alaska uh, needed at the time. And what the legislature did was step in, let the APUC sunset and then set up the Regulatory Commission of Alaska as a successor that uh, that much more reflected the rules that and and the approach that I think uh, Alaska needed for the modern age. It's it it may be time to do the same thing with the Permanent Fund Board. It may be time to let the existing Permanent Fund Board set, sunset and then uh, replace it with a uh, with a board that's much more professional and much more focused on. In the, on the mission, which is generating returns, as opposed to all of these side projects that uh, right. that the current, current permanent fund right. seems to be getting into.
3: I think Larry's Larry's uh, uh, letter is nice. It's short, concise. It gives us a great overview. But I really loved Paul Jenkins' letter because maybe it just maybe his style is more my style. But the headline just caught my attention. It said the Permanent Fund trustees make enough dumb decisions in plain view. Imagine if they could shut out the public entirely. And he's, of course, talking specifically about trying to exempt themselves from the Open Meetings Act. And that goes into some of the details of uh, of what you're talking about there. And then, of course, of, you know, all these things that could be done behind closed doors. And we don't need more. We need more transparency, not less transparency. And it's really... Uh, it's really shocking to see that this is the move and the direction that they're trying to take in this day and age, when people are trying to shine more and more light on government and try and see to you know to uh, to unfog the fog of war, so to speak, and that's the direction they're going.
2: Part of the prob- part of the problem, Michael, too, is I've heard I've heard a lot of people discuss recently that the that the objective of the permanent fund board ought to be to get it to a hundred billion dollars. Um, and then it can generate enough earnings to, to sustain state spending. That's not true, given given where oil uh, revenues are going. But, but that's, that's the objective of it. And I think that's leading the Permanent Fund Board potentially into risky investments in this stretch drive to get to $100 billion. Up to this point, it's been let's make solid investments. Let's generate solid returns. Let's, let's choose among the various options out there in the world to, to continue to grow the permanent fund. Trying Now, setting an artificial target and trying to stretch drive toward that will lead you to make more risky investments to try to achieve the higher returns you need uh, to get to the $100 million. I don't think we need that objective. Uh, I think we just need to stay in the mode that we've been in, which is to find solid investments that produce solid returns, have solid uh uh, financials around them and keep going down down that road so i just i i just i i'm increasingly uncomfortable with the direction that the permanent fund board is taking it not only the political stuff of investing in state not only the uh uh the 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 discussion about you know let us do it in secret but i'm just increasingly uncomfortable with sort of the the fundamental drive of what the of what the permanent fund board's trying to do. So I, I think it's time to evaluate uh what we what we've been doing, what the what this board is doing, and look at whether there's a better structure to try to achieve the objective that we set originally.
3: And for. quickly, if you had your druthers, what would you say? Would you say board confirmation by the legislature? I mean, not that I necessarily am a huge fan of the legislature on top of it. And you already know that their goal is again the hundred million hundred billion dollar mark. But uh, for many of them, anyway. Uh, so, what would
2: your what would your solution be? I think Larry. I think Larry's outlet, Larry's letter outlines an approach that would set up sort of a a nominating board that would focus on uh, professionalism, focus on uh, uh, status, uh, uh, professional status. We don't have any investment bankers, uh, as far as I know, on the board right now, um, and we don't have anybody who talks the language. Well, Ellie Rubenstein might classify as one, but we don't have, I'm not sure I trust her, but we don't have, we don't have people who, who understand uh, sort of the dynamics of what goes on in the investment community, or we have one and she's sort of leading everybody else around by the nose. I think, I think sort of re-looking at the criteria and maybe having a pre-clearance and then legislative confirmation uh, to some degree as we do with judges uh, is, uh, is an approach that uh, that has a lot of merit.
3: Let's uh, quickly tease number three before we move on here.
2: Number three is there's an op-ed by Dan Sullivan, Senator Dan Sullivan, uh, in this weekend's uh, ADN that doesn't say it, but I think is teasing uh, yet another area that uh, that uh, Republicans want to sp- spend government money in without talking about who pays for it. Uh, and I want to sort of talk about what uh, Sullivan's saying and the direction that uh, that might lead us.
3: All right, that's Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. We're working on the weekly top three. Number three is Dead Ahead. We'll be back with more in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Back with more right after this.
0: Listened to by more staffers in Juno than any other show, because their bosses told them to. And after what they just heard, oh, man, they're going to be best. You're a bad, bad man. The Michael Duke Show.
3: Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, uh, is the thing. Uh Politic said the PFD board needs to be voted on by the shareholders. We Alaskans uh, AK legislature governor needs to be completely removed from any choice on who's on. Otherwise, people like Natasha use their influence to manipulate them to do what they want. Not Alaskans. I mean, the board of directors, shareholders. I, I mean, I <clears throat> would like to see somebody with a track record on there. Uh, that to me would be the important part. Do they have a track record of creating those kind of investments more than anything else? I don't want it to be a popularity contest necessarily. I'd like it to be some people with actually
2: some experience. We got enough problems with elections uh, and with, with the lack of campaign of limits on campaign contributions. Can you imagine if, uh, if we have elections about who controls, you know, $70 billion worth of, uh, of investment what that would look like and and the the amount of money that would flow in to uh influence uh, that election uh, the old companies want somebody to help invest in them you know somebody wants to help invest in them well just go just go buy the permanent fund board through an election i yeah i i, I appreciate the the comment or the point about having it reflect the the views of of individual Alaskans, but i'm not sure an election is the is the uh, is the right way to do that.
3: Anthony has a great point. I think he kind of summates the whole (laughs) the whole PFD thing here. Uh, I mean, it's a it's a little pessimistic, but I I like it. He said the the PFD is pretty much a necessity for most lower middle class families. So naturally, it's a great weapon to use politically. Republicans want to make it bigger to help you out. Democrats want to make it smaller to build up services that help you out. Meanwhile, we do nothing to address the insane cost of living or government spending itself. It's all political theater, guys. And uh, while that is kind of a pessimistic comment, I don't know that he's far too gone on that. I think it's it's kind of, that's the thing. It seems like uh, a little bit of kabuki theater going on in there. We do have those that are trying to fight uh, for the PFD, but they've been pretty much sidelined at this point. It's a, it's a tough situation.
2: It, it is politicized. I mean, I'm, I guess the articles, I guess the articles I was talking about in the first segment that talk about the political aspects of it with rather than the economic, as, without even mentioning the economic aspects, I guess those reflect the reality of or the the reality we're in. I guess those reflect that, that it is a, a highly politicized process. My point about that is, it shouldn't be. It, it should. It should. We should focus on on the economics. I mean, everybody talks a good game about strong economy, strong jobs, strong economic growth, strong income. Everybody talks a good game about that, uh, but nobody focus. Nobody's focusing on on the economics of it, the economic impact of of using PFD cuts. So. I mean, Anthony's Anthony's comment seems to be right in terms of capturing what the reality is, but the reality, I guess my point is the reality is wrong. The reality is not reflecting the right the right issue that we ought to be focusing sure. on, which is what's in the best interest of the overall Alaska economy.
3: Well, sure, we don't want to think and believe that it's theater, but at this point, it is kind of theatric to see what's going on with this. The ultimate goal, as you said, is to push the permanent fund itself over a $100 billion so they can spin off and be completely disconnected from everything else and that's I mean that's again everything that they're doing up until that point is kind of the theater of the moment of uh, of you know how do we how do we look good how do we look like we're protecting you how do we look like we are taking care of you um, as uh, uh, you know to help you out as as Anthony's saying um, and how do we look good doing it that's so I mean it has been that like you said that political theater. Uh, That we're dealing with on a daily basis, and that's what those articles. I think that goes right back to your point on number one.
2: Yeah, it it it, it's um, political theater, and it's um, it's political theater. So here's my here's here's sort of the real crux of my problem with with the with the op eds and the and the articles not addressing the economic issue. They aren't educating Alaskans about what's really important uh, in 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 the PFD battle. They aren't They aren't helping. Alaskans understand the adverse impact of using pfd cuts to fund government the adverse impact of that on on the economy relative to other alternatives. And so it's it's sort of this vicious circle, right? I mean it's the 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 people act that it's people talk about it as a political issue and so politicians act on it as a political issue and so the press talks about it more even more is a political issue and the politicians act on it. Somebody, I, I tried with the op-ed, I'm not sure how much progress I made, but somebody's got to stand up and say, look, this is, it, let's talk about the fairness issue at some point, but this is an economics issue. This is an issue about what's in the best interest of the Alaska economy, jobs and income. And let's focus on that, folks, because we say we do, let's actually go through and do it and let's focus on the PFD in that way.
3: Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, is our guest. Uh, the weekly top three continues. Number three coming up, um, and uh, let's uh, let's let's continue on and uh, and get that number three out of the way. Here we go. Common sense, liberty-based, free thick, and radio. Three, two, one. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, our guest. The weekly top three continues. We talked about the economics of the PFD versus the politics of it. We've talked about the Permanent Fund Board, and now we're moving on to conservatives, quote-unquote, who are spending all that they want to, or look at they're looking at all that spending. Brad, you were talking about a letter that Dan Sullivan wrote. And kind of a, 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 a indicator of things to come, or things that have been happening, or things that are going to continue to happen. What's your, what's your take here?
2: Things to come, Michael. This is this goes under the category of never let a crisis go to waste, right? We've uh, we've got a gas we got a natural gas situation in South Central. Cook Inlets in decline. It's been in decline for a long time, but now it's in decline to the point where where there may not be enough gas to supply all of the all of the demand that we have built up around it. Uh, both home heating as well as uh, as well as electric generation, and so and so we're looking at options on how to deal with uh, uh, with natural gas in South Central. Never let a crisis go to waste. We'd, in a previous show, a couple of weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago, we talked about some people coming out and saying, "Oh, we need to give more credits, uh, uh, production credits, to get Cook Inlet gas producers to encourage them, incentivize them to uh, to go produce additional gas, or we need to." Uh, I think George Rauscher's proposal is just do away with royalty from uh, from the we've already done away with tax. So just do away from royalty. Essentially, that would be let the producers keep all the revenues, not no revenue sharing with the state uh, from uh, from cooking the production and let that incentivize them uh, to uh, to go out and explore for and, uh, and produce an additional gas without any demonstration, by the way, without any evidence. That, that giving them more money, either in the form of credits or give, or, 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 or rebating the, the, the royalty, without any evidence that that would actually increase production. Um, uh, but, but nevertheless, we've had politicians talk about that. This week, uh, this weekend in the ADN, we had an op-ed from Senator Dan Sullivan. Uh, the op-ed is entitled, uh, Stars Are Aligned to Make a Major Push. Alaska LNG. This is sort of the article, this is sort of the op-ed we get from somebody every, you know, few months, every three months or so. Somebody writes an op-ed about how LNG is just on the cusp. If we just hang on long enough, LNG is just on the cusp. This one from Dan Sullivan has buried down in the, I don't know, maybe the 10th paragraph, guessing, uh, has has this. Like we have in the past, Alaska's elected officials need to work together to focus on the immediate challenge and the opportunities that this project presents. AGDC, the Alaska Gas Development Corporation, is working to secure $150 million for the next step in the project to finish the front-end engineering and design. Having the state as a co-investor alongside the private sector in this phase would send a strong signal to investors and help Alaska LNG's chances of getting over the finish line. Well, guess what that is? That's a pitch. I mean, it doesn't say it in in those words, but what it is is a pitch for the state legislature to step in and fund a significant share, if not all of the $150 million for the next phase of studies that get us to the point where we may be (laughs) in the hunt uh, with other projects for LNG. Look, LNG would be a great thing. It would be a wonderful thing to, to have for the state. It would mean jobs. It would mean uh, gas supply to Fairbanks and to South Central uh, in a way that's not dependent on the Cook Inlet. Uh, it would mean exports. It would mean, uh, it would mean potentially mean, uh, depending upon what the value of, at the wellhead is, given the gas at the wellhead, it would potentially mean revenues uh, for the state, though that's not guaranteed um look it'd be it'd, it'd mean great things but you know the matsu rail extension at one point was supposed to mean great things look what the look what the MatSU rail extension is going to do uh do for the state or look at what you know the the grain silos and valdez or the barley project up in the delta uh is going to do at Alaska we're great at coming up with ways with with projects that will make the state great all we have to do is spend money on them uh, and, uh, and, 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 and look at the benefits. Well, you know, the benefits seldom show up taps, which, which Sullivan, interestingly enough cites in, uh, uh, in the, in, in his, uh, editorial was built with all private money. These great things, these great things, if they're so great, if the economics of them are so great, then the private sector ought to be the, ought to be the one that, uh, is chomping at the bit right. to go forward and, and do them. These pitches about just give us a little bit more state money and we'll be there, um, and uh, and we'll be right on the cusp of doing it. Those those are sounding increasingly hollow to me, especially when, uh, just like the Democrats, when they talk about just give us a little bit more K through twelve spending, or just give us a little bit more university spending, or just give us a little bit more childcare uh, subsidies, and we'll be in and, and we'll be right on the cusp of making Alaska great again, especially when. You know, they have these columns about talking about the spending, but don't address who pays. Right. And guess guess who would end up paying for this $150 million? Or guess up who <laughs> well, guess who would pay for the $125 million? Every time so guess who's gonna,
3: Yeah, I'm sorry. I apologize. Every time I hear uh, about this argument, all I can think of is sitting in Jim Whitaker's office, who's the former mayor of the North Star Borough. And he was also on the port authority there, the gas line port authority in Fairbanks and everything. And he had this—he had this thing framed behind his desk, and it said, "Gas in Alaska next year." And I'm like, "Okay, great." It was a Daily News article from 1957 or something. I mean, it was just like. Gas tomorrow. Gas. How much have we poured into this already, Brad? I mean, since the Palin start and, and, and all this other kind of stuff, how many million – when Walker was there, how many millions of dollars have we done for front-end work and FERC and all this other kind of stuff? We've spent hundreds of millions of dollars on this, but all we need is another $150 million more to take it over the finish line for a $45 billion pipeline. How much do we have to partner up to – I mean – it's it's you know you, fool me once, fool me fifty three times is a whole nother
1: thing.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's and that's sort of what we're getting into, Michael. I mean, it's it's just give us one hundred and fifty million dollars more, and we'll be we'll be, or George roush or just you know just just give up on on royalties from the Cook Inlet or you know give them credits. Other other legislators have proposed credits. Just give us give them a little bit more, and 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 we'll be fine. All sorts of great things will happen. Well. We did that in the in the early teens we gave a lot of credits to, uh, to to cook inlet producers and we got a little bit of gas for a little bit longer but here we are in 2020 in the early 20, 2020s right back at it right back in the same situation The fact is the incentives are not there for, for producers to to develop uh, uh, the cooking to, to explore in the cook Inlet. and for the state artificially to try to create that market, uh, at expense to the state uh, is 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 one thing, and then when you look at who, who they want to pay for, what what I always get about what what always gets me about these is Dan Sullivan is is clearly in the top percent, top twenty percent, maybe in the top five percent, hell, maybe in even in the top one percent, and 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 for him to say, yeah, let's just spend more money. Well, who's paying for it, Dan? It's not you. It's not your friends. It's not the. it wouldn't be the contractors who get the contracts to do the front end engineering. A lot of whom are out of state, by the way, and who don't don't contribute to Alaska's uh, uh, revenue base. It's not any of them. It would be middle and lower income Alaska families uh, that you're biting yet again for uh, for another you know shot at the shot at the price. So it, it's it, for, for somebody who's been through this war. I don't know how many times somebody who's been through these. Cycles how many times it's just a little bit humorous to see another headline that says, you know, stars are aligned to make a major, to make a major, it doesn't even say stars are aligned for Alaska LNG says stars are aligned to make a major push for Alaska LNG. And then, and then read down through, I just, anymore, I just read for where the dollar (laughs) sign is, right? Don't even bother to read the words, just look where the dollar sign is and then read the words around the dollar sign. To read down through and says, "Up, oh, AGDC is working secure just another hundred and fifty dollars more for the next step in the project to finish the front end engineering and design, so that we can stay in, so that we can stay in the game." It's um, I yeah. At some time, at, at some point, I've just become very, uh, very uh, uh, cynical about uh, about this well, whole process. And it's
3: understandable. None of this is going to work out until the economics of it work out. When the market demand is high enough, when things are going well, then they'll pull the gas. I would like to see it tomorrow too. But does it make sense for us to pour billions of dollars into it when there's not enough demand uh, and there's not enough interest, and it doesn't economically pencil out at the end? I mean, great. Yep.
2: And and Dan, if it's if it's worth 150 million dollars, put a paragraph in there that says, "And you're willing to contribute your share." Through paying a tax to help support uh, that 150 million dollar uh, additional investment, uh, that paragraph got left out. Of yeah, the, exactly. of the of, of, of the commentary, it's it's I've got a great idea on how to spend your money. Yeah, <laughs> more of your money. Well, and- you should be thank thankful to me that I come up with all these ideas on how to spend your money.
3: Well, and Donna says it's amazing that a federal official is asking for state money. Congress spends that much money every second. I mean, he could, hey, Dan, why don't you just write a line into some bill to add to it if it's that important? I mean, you know, if we're giving away free money from somebody, just let's, you know, uh, it's the whole thing is just insane. Brad, we got about 90 seconds here. I'll give you the final thoughts for today.
2: Well, I'll just uh, on that point. They've already written, Lisa and Dan have already written into the the infrastructure bill, Biden's infrastructure bill, $30 billion federal guarantee, debt guarantee for the damn project. So it's not like, I mean, it's not like the feds haven't come up with a lot of money on their own. And Dan would say, well, it's just $150 million from the state standpoint. You know, it gets tiresome. Uh, uh, Nobody let's see if the private sector wants to do this project before we, before we keep on going down this road.
3: Yeah. Where's the demand? Where is the private sector stepping up to say, okay, we'll shoulder half of this. We'll shoulder three quarters of it. We'll shoulder whatever. And they're just, they're not, it's not, there's not enough demand to make it work. Uh, As much as I'd love to see it, that 17 trillion cubic feet of gas just trapped up there waiting to do something with it. Not until the market says we need that. Is it going to happen? brad Lee, alaskans for sustainable budgets uh thank you my friend i appreciate you coming on board enjoy cape breton and uh, uh thank you for being here michael zois thanks for having me our two dead ahead the michael luke show common sense radio back with more it'd be interesting brad um you know in your spare time since you've got all this spare time um To do the analysis of what, I mean, how much has been spent since the Murkowski and Palin administrations, when they first started getting into this, where the state was spending a lot of money on the front end of this whole gas line thing, and then through Walker and everything else, how much money have we spent on the state's preparation for the gas line? Um, I mean, it's got to be, I mean, we're into the hundreds of millions of dollars already, right?
2: Oh, I, I think we're north of a billion dollars by now yeah. michael I'll, I'll i'll put that on my to-do list to uh might make an interesting chart of the week yeah to just sort of visualize how to, how to stack it up but yeah uh, i think it i think it's well at I'm, maybe well north is too too uh generous but i think it's north of a billion dollars and i mean that money and, 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 go ahead and, well and, and 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 across. uh to cross uh subjects this week some people are talking about oh wouldn't it be a great investment for the permanent fund corporation to to invest in alaska's future by uh, by by investing in uh in the gas line again the track record <laughs> the track record of the
3: state in investment in 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 projects like that uh you know delta barley and and uh storage and and the th- i mean all you have to think of is all these things that have lost. oh this will be great <laughs> you know, it craters and you see the mushroom cloud from space and you're like, Oh God, uh, what happened there? Yeah. I don't think I want to endanger the permanent fund with something like that. I mean, it just, it just doesn't economically make sense.
2: But that's, that's what, I mean, that's what the permanent fund board is starting to, it it would be eking toward or start has been starting to eke toward with all these in-state investments, right? Well, let's build Alaska up. Let's use some of this money for the benefit of the Alaska economy and Alaska companies and, 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 and to some degree, there's some speculation that, that these initial investments, uh, this initial Alaska investment program was the first step to step up to investing in the, in the LNG project. So, I mean, it's, <laughs> as I say, people can come up with all sorts of, through my entire career, people have come up with all sorts of great ideas about investing money. You know, I, I can make this return, I can do this. Your money. I don't want to put any of my money into it. Your money, uh, but but aren't these all aren't these all great ideas? And and yeah, sure they're great ideas. But you know, if there's such a great idea, Dan, put your money where put your money, not the federal money. You put a lot of federal money in there. Put your money where your mouth is by saying that uh, that there ought to be a, a tax uh, that would that would reach you uh, to support it. And 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 what you will have when you say that is crickets. It'll be oh no. Yeah. Well, it, it benefits all, benefits all Alaskans, So it's OK to take the PFD.
3: Well, I mean, look, it would be great to have access to Alaskan gas. But the problem is, is by the time we built the pipeline out and did all this other kind of stuff, the economy of scale of just the demand in Alaska, you'd be paying three or four times what you're paying for gas right oh. now, Uh, you know, based on just bringing that line down, because there's not enough demand to give it the volume and the economy of scale that it needs. Uh, I mean, it'd be great to have Alaskan gas. Don't get me wrong. And I think in the future, that's where I mean, eventually there will be a drawdown of gas, worldwide gas enough that that will become viable. But up until then. You know, one day it'll be economical, but until that day, don't keep throwing money at it until
2: you think it is. There's a lot of gas in the world, Michael. Oh, I mean, <laughs> yeah, there's you a, know, economic. Huge amount of gas. One
3: life. day. I mean, who knows? It could be 2150 at this point. I have no idea how long it'll be before it becomes viable, but we do have a huge chunk of gas out there and it we would do. be nice we to do. use it.
2: But be, it'd be great to monetize it. Absolutely. It'd be great to monetize it. But uh, I mean, we have a lot of ice. It'd be great to monetize the ice. <laughs> we, we have a lot of things, but but we can't monetize all of it. And and spending money thinking that thinking that we're gonna be able to monetize it, thinking that there's gonna be this great payday at the end, especially when somebody's saying, I want to spend your money to 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 monetize this thing. Um, I just you know, you gotta be you gotta be skeptical about it. Yeah. You gotta be skeptical about it.
3: Absolutely. Um I agree with that. Um it was uh what was it? Andrew Halcrow. Um, was the candidate in what 2004? He thought we could build a pipeline using the permanent fund. Yeah, well, Halcrow was into that. Uh, Walker was into that at one point. They all thought that they could either use the permanent fund or, <clears throat> excuse me, leverage the permanent fund as a its uh, mm. collateral. <laughs> I think as collateral for the uh, for for the building a pipe, but it's a forty five billion dollar pipeline. It's not like it's gonna, you know, it's not like it's a drop in the bucket.
2: Yeah, exactly. And even the equity portion. I mean, the equity portion is maybe twenty five uh, percent to to you know a third of that. So let's say it's fifteen fifteen billion dollars is what you have to come up with on the equity side, and, and debt finance the rest of it. Uh, I mean that—that's fifteen billion dollars. That's a lot of money, uh, uh, just on its own. And it's—and it's, you know, and, and and people say, yeah, it's a great deal. It's a great deal. Just use your money to 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 finance it. Don't don't tax me. Don't make me pay for any of it. Just use your money to finance it. It'll be, don't worry about it. It'd be, it'd be a great payoff for you. <laughs>
4: um,
2: I mean, I've had I've I've, I've had. Uh, uh, investment bankers or financial managers that have smoother presentations than that right and at least they at least sometimes they say well I, i'm in this project so i want i want to you know let you participate in this project also um uh, yeah well you want me to participate at 15 times the amount you're in it but <laughs> I, 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 at least you're smooth enough to recognize that that you've got to say you have some skin in the game yourself before you before really. you try to drag in others uh sullivan isn't even saying that yeah
3: well brad uh, appreciate you coming on board thank you for joining us this morning and as always uh it's uh it's interesting it's interesting stuff i appreciate you helping us out this morning and giving us your thoughts on it. appreciate you being here
2: michael uh thanks for having me and uh, look forward to it again next week enjoy the music my friend
3: enjoy that Music, soothing the savage soul. That's what it's all about. Appreciate you coming on board. Thank you. Uh, Brad Keithley, Alaska's Four Sustainable Budgets. Out of time. Hour two right now The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio.
0: Buddy, put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the michaeldukeshow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world,
3: live around the world on the internet at MichaelDukesShow.com, and across the state of Alaska on this your favorite radio station and/or FM translator. Hello and good morning to you. It is Tuesday, and we are ready to go uh, for hour two. Uh, Just finished up with Brad Keithley from Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets with the weekly top three. An interesting discussion, to say the least, uh, on uh, PFDs, uh, the the economics of it on the Permanent Fund Board, and now on how more conservatives are looking for more of your money to spend on the projects that they would like to. This whole thing is just. I mean, let's talk for just a second about the history of all the money that's been spent uh, around the state. And Brad said he's gonna go, he's gonna go pull uh, some of these numbers and put them in a chart for me because uh, I kind of challenged him on it and said, "Hey, can you, you know, take a look at?" I mean, here's here's Dan Sullivan in this latest piece, uh, which I suppose I should probably post up in the chat room so people can see this and know what we're talking about. Uh, Dan Sullivan's opinion piece that says, uh, you know, the stars are aligned to make a major push for AKLNG. OK, great. Um, again, anybody who studied the economics of this and taken a look at this can see that um, while it would be great. I mean, Alaska has got what, 17 trillion cubic feet of gas on the North Slope, not to talk about what may be in the Cook Inlet or not in the Cook Inlet, but just even on the slope we got a big chunk of gas and sure it would be amazing to get that gas down to market so alaskans can have um uh you know alaskans can have access to that gas and everything else but the problem is to get it down here to get it down into south central to get it usable to get it usable through fairbanks and all those kind of stuff i mean it's a multi billion dollar pipeline what were the estimates 45 to 60 billion dollars and of course you know it's uh, cost overruns and everything it might be 70 or 75 billion dollars i mean uh especially if the government is involved in it i mean you could expect that there will be more cost overruns um and so when by the time you get all that said and done it, you know you would have to pay to pay back the project right because there's a payback cost on all this investment right that they have to do I mean, you pay four times what you're paying right now for gas. And and is that it's just not it's just not it's just not economically feasible. And we have spent hundreds of millions of dollars getting things ready. Um right before I left Fairbanks, this is ten years ago now, that summer before I left Fairbanks, um the Interior Gas Utility, uh, which had been formed the I think the year before which I had voted against because why do you need a gas utility when you have no gas? Um, They bonded and funded an infrastructure project. They cut right out in front of my house along the edge of of my cul-de-sac. They came through and they used a cutter and they cut the ground open and they put, they laid gas, natural gas pipes for everything out there in the neighborhood. Why? Oh, because gas is coming tomorrow. How much money did we spend on building out the infrastructure? In I mean, just my neighborhood out there in North Pole, uh, that pipe has been buried in the ground for 10 years. And I guarantee you it will be at least probably double or triple that before we see any kind of movement on gas availability in those outlying areas. I mean, it's been sitting in the ground for 10 years. Just just sitting there. Money that was spent. How much money have we spent on all these different things saying gas is right around the corner? Now's the time to push for this to, to happen. This would be perfect. This is all we need It's just one more little more piece of money. This sounds like one of those scams where it's like, oh, we're gonna finish that project, but I only need another hundred bucks. Oh, and then later on, oh, oh, so close, but I only need another hundred bucks, and they're hundred-dollaring you to death. Only it's a hundred billion, a hundred million dollars every time they turn around. It's not just oh, we just need another hundred million. I mean, come on. And then at some point, you get this momentum to where they're like, there's so much money that has been spent. They can't, you know, oh, you've already spent, you know, you've already spent $2 billion. You can't afford to throw it all away to do all this. <laughs> you can't afford, to, you know, and then we look at the Matanuska-made dairy and we look at the, the, the barley fields and the projects and all these other things that the state has taken some kind of equity interest in. And they're like, oh, of course, we've got to do this. I mean, at what point do we just realize... That's just spreading money around that's really not going to do anything. I mean, the people who did all the work, they made some money. Good for them. But the project is really never, ever going to get off the ground and be feasible. That's the, that's the whole problem. It's, it's just fantastic. Um, I've got a couple lines on hold. I was just going to tell you that I've opened up the phone lines. People already apparently figured that out. I've got two lines on hold. So we're going to open up the phone lines this morning. For discussion on any of these topics, Chris Story is going to be joining us uh, from Homer uh, here in the final segment of the show today for a little bit of a pick me up and uplift. Uh, meanwhile, let's go over to the phones and see what uh, uh, see what you guys have to say this morning. Why not? Let's just let's get things let's get things rolling. See what's going on and what's on your mind. We'll go uh, uh, we'll go right over here. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from?
4: Good morning, Michael. This is Ron in North Pole. Hello, now, Ron. I thought I would inject just a little humor into your show today concerning the uh natural gas in north Pole
3: oh yeah okay uh,
4: i did you while get you got the in,
3: you got the same thing right I mean you had those guys come through your yard and put the lines in and do all that stuff
4: that That is the point of my call because uh it was early in the morning and uh the wife and I had just gotten up and the telephone rang and it was our neighbor across the street. And he said, look out your window. You've got a geyser. And, uh, sure enough, they, uh, they hit the water main
3: <laughs> <laughs> with the trencher. They hit the, with the trencher, they hit the water main on the way by. That was the,
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, when they were, yeah, when they were laying the pipe, they, uh, they evidently dug a little too deep or in the wrong spot and, Looked like old faithful out of the front yard. We had a fun day that day. (laughs) Yeah, probably the junior man on the uh, on the chain to the door to gently knock and explain that they had hit it. We already knew that.
5: (laughs) Yeah,
3: duh, duh, exactly. And so, tell me, Ron, have you had gas come? Have you had gas to your home now that you're all got the pipes right there in your front yard? I mean, have you, you know, or or are you like me, ten years later, no gas?
4: Well, uh, no gas, and uh, a great deal of that is of my own choosing. because while uh, they tout the wonders of natural gas uh, to convert all your appliances and your whole house over to the uh, natural gas system is a pretty daunting financial uh, picture.
3: No, it is, and and part of the problem is especially in places like North Pole where the air quality is, is, is tough because of the, uh, you know, kind of the environmental climatic conditions. Um, the thing is, they keep using that and touting that as the solution. Oh, well, as soon as we get natural gas, it'll all be fixed. The problem is, is that, I mean, the conversion from fuel oil to natural gas is not a cheap conversion. <laughs> I mean, that could be $10,000, $14,000 for some people. Um, which is, you know, that's got a big payback over a a period of time. It's going to take a while to get that done. Um, and yet, great. I love gas. I mean, that was one of the reasons why when I got down here, I love where we're at because yeah, we got natural gas and it was, uh, you know, it saved me a ton of money. Comparatively, my fuel bill is, you know, maybe a 10th or maybe 15% of what it was up in Fairbanks. That's great. Fantastic. I love cooking with natural gas. But you got to have a steady, reliable supply, and it's just not something that's been viable in Fairbanks. Yet they've spent millions of dollars putting all this stuff in, in the in the eventuality that maybe if one day it will happen.
4: Well, and then, too, uh, while we didn't experience it because of the uh, steadfastness of our mayor, I believe that was Mr. Ward at the time, uh, they had done the uh, the work in some of the further outlying areas and it just destroyed people's front yards, trees, shrubs, the whole thing. And uh, I think he put his foot down and told them that wasn't going to happen here, but it certainly happened to a number of people that I know.
3: Yeah, no, it was. And the thing was, what killed me was that there was no notice. Like you woke up one day and they were cutting through the edge of your yard and you're like, excuse me, what what are you doing? Um, Yeah. It uh, it was and then
4: then they had to uh, they had to bring some actually brought a piece of equipment into the house and hooked it up to the uh, the water system to avoid what happened uh, eventually anyway. (laughs) Yeah, exactly,
3: exactly. All right, Ron. Well, thank you for the heads up. I appreciate
4: it. The best laid plans.
3: Yeah, exactly, Uh, exactly. Thanks, Ron. I appreciate it. Uh, let's go over here. We got some more phone calls. Nine zero seven four three three thirty one fifty. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from?
4: Good morning. This is Mike. I'm calling from Fairbanks. Uh, you you kind of said what I was going to say, Mike. But anyway, we had to get, North Pole had to have that gas because we were everybody was breathing that evil PM two point five, and everybody in North Pole was going to die from that. Right, right. Bring in the gas to give these evil wood burners a cheaper source of heat for their homes. That was a lot of the driver behind bringing in the gas was the PM 2.5, and the borough's still throwing money around to get rid of these evil wood burning fireplaces and stoves and all that. Right.
3: I mean, they they put it all in, but there was no plan. There was no plan to ever, I mean, where was the gas going to come from? It was like, if you build it, they will come. No, if you build it, it will just sit there in the ground because you have no plan to be able to fill those pipes. I mean, you were hoping, now they've got the trucking project. I still don't even know if they're going to have enough gas off that trucking project to fill those pipes.
4: Yeah. Well, they got enough to do something. They're trucking it up from from where you live or from Anchorage, but they've they've made a deal with somebody to truck gas from the North Slope. They just don't have anybody making the gas ready to truck yet.
3: Yeah. Well, it'll be interesting to see if those, those lines actually get filled and how many people actually convert, but you're right. That's what they were doing. Oh, your wood stove's bad. Your coal stove's bad. Your fuel oil furnace is bad. What we need is natural gas. Well, great, but if it's two or three times the cost...
4: Okay, I'm going to let you go, Mike.
3: I appreciate it. If it's two or three times the cost or is equitable in cost... See, that was the big problem was that down here, natural gas was cheaper. In Fairbanks, the gas that that they trucked up there, they priced it basically on par or at parity with fuel oil. Maybe a couple pennies less. So did it really make sense? Not usually. Let's go over here and take one more call before we go to break. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from?
1: Carlene and Kodiak. Good morning, Carlene. Two items today, Michael.
3: Okay, go ahead. It's
1: about the PFD board on October second in the Kodiak Daily Mirror, James Brooks had a long article from the Alaska Beacon, and it was all about the proposals of the PFD board. It would really be worth reading, and then um, about the wanting one hundred and fifty million dollars more, I from one of my books. When Biden became president on January 20th, 2017, he signed executive orders shutting down the pipelines. He also signed an order that the oil companies could not get bank loans. And I don't know if that's still in effect. So I don't know if this part of um, what Brad Keithley is discussing also. Thank you, Michael.
3: Uh, all right, thank you, Carlene. I appreciate you calling in. Uh, that leaves uh, one line on hold, but I'm up against the break caller. Hold on, I'll be right to you, and we'll take your call when we return here in just a moment. Phone lines are open. Chris Story's coming up at the bottom of the hour. We're going to be dialing into him for a little bit of betterment action. The Michael Luke Show continues. Common sense. Liberty base. Thinking Radio. we return with more right after this.
0: Running on 100% pure beard power. Oh, also some coffee. We dip our beard in coffee. Ha, <laughs> nice beard. The Michael Duke Show.
3: Okay, we're in the break right now. Let's go over to the caller and see who they are, where they're calling from, and we'll get to them as soon as we return. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? It's Charles. Hey, Charles. Uh, You want to hold on a second? I'll be right back to you. You'll be first up in the queue. Charles from Fairbanks. You Uh, hold. Yep. You won't have an echo when you return, so just hold on a second here. Uh, We'll be back with Charles here in just a moment. Uh, All right. Let me go back over to the uh, chat room to see what you guys are saying here this morning. Good morning. Good morning, all you people. Um, Point Mac Dairy Project. This is Herder. Herder says, Point Mac Dairy Project, studies to build bridges across inlet gas lines, money went into pockets, didn't just evaporate, but I mean, right, somebody got paid. Uh, <clears throat> Brian said, I get that this, uh, that it is a sort of the if you build it, they will come scenario. Except here we are 10 years later. Are we any closer? Are they going to get enough gas that they're going to be able to truck from the North Slope to fill up? Is there enough of a is there enough of a difference in price to be able to justify the conversion? I mean, the conversion is you know you're converting these furnaces and stuff and these heating systems. I mean that's ten to twenty thousand dollars for those conversions. Yeah. Um, Instead of investing in LNG, says Politodic, they are building solar and wind farms here. This is down in the, I think, the Matsu, which will never produce a sustainable, reliable energy source. Meanwhile, they're shutting down our coal plants. Yeah, yeah. This is, that's, that's how they, that's how they work, man. Um, <laughs> Jim said, he did get a lot of firewood when they cleared the right-of-way for those uh, gas lines. He did make a lot of firewood in there. Um, <clears throat> uh, Mike says, in 93, I went to NSTAR asking about how much it would be. The woman behind the counter said $50,000 to run the line 300 feet. And I asked why so much. She said, we don't run gas into ghettos. What? What? what okay so she just you know she just what she just arbitrarily threw that number out there oh man oh um i'm going through here um explore for gas in the golden valley there have been some exploratory wells drilled out uh, down near Nenana, Doyon had a drill, and they actually had a field and a find out there. But I don't think it economic. I don't think it panned out. I don't think it panned out economically. They did find some gas out down towards Nenana, but I don't think it. I don't think it worked out. Um. Uh, gas line from the slope to Fairbanks. I guess that makes too much sense no again economically it just didn't pencil out there were people that looked at that the pencil line what they called the pencil line from the north slope down to fairbanks and i mean it was just again still too much money and it was just not it was and wouldn't the payback on it wouldn't be wouldn't be enough that's part of the problem there um I don't know why my comment on trucking gas get down appeared three times, says Randy. I don't see it three times, Randy, so maybe it's just your maybe it's just your thing freaking out, but I didn't see it three times. It's snowing in Big Lake, said Polita Dick. God bless. It's uh it's like thirty five degrees, thirty-six degrees here. Thirty-five degrees. Oh, temperature, temperature dropped like three degrees in the last hour because it was 38 before. All right. Uh, we got Charles on the line, and we're going to keep the lines open for a bit here, and we'll see what uh, folks have to say. Um, Yeah, I was just like that, Jim. Uh, Just like that. We'll talk about that here in a second. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Like and share, like and follow. Let's get this thing going on. Here we go.
0: The Michael Duke Show. Not your daddy. Wait, sorry. Not your daddy? Ooh, not your daddy's talk radio. Huh. Whew. I was scared for a second. Thought we were going down. Here's Michael Dukes and the show. Well, howdy, howdy, howdy.
3: Welcome back to the program. Hour two continues. Uh, we've got a phone line on hold. Charles from Fairbanks held on through the uh, through the break there. So we're coming back to him first. Let's uh, see what he has to say this morning and get his take on things. Charles, what's on your mind?
4: Hey, good morning. Uh, if you talk to anyone in Cook the gas uh, business there that works in the fields, they will tell you that regulations prevent them from just simply cleaning out the wells and getting a lot more, much more gas out of those wells. They they can't they're restricted from cleaning out the wells even to, uh, that's the truth. Talk to people that work there and cook in the fields. I mean 20 years since it's been
3: cleaned out or you're needed saying needed you're saying just without. cleaning out the wells is gonna increase the gas throughput or the or the amount of gas that's coming out of the ground?
4: Yeah. They're getting more out of it if they were allowed to clean the wells out.
3: I guess I don't know what the you mean by clean the
4: regulation keeps them from doing that.
3: Yeah, I guess I don't know what you mean by cleaning the wells out. Are you talking about pumping water Pre- in, or, or I mean, what are you, what are you talking about?
4: No, just just typical maintenance. The regulations won't allow them to do that. Mm. Okay, that's true. Call talk to people who work there in a cook in that field. They'll tell you that. Yeah.
3: Well, I don't know. Um, Yeah. Okay, Charles. Well, I appreciate you. uh, I mean, I've never heard of such a thing, but that doesn't mean that it's not necessarily true. I guess I I need to speak to somebody who's much smarter than me on those kind of things. Thank you, Charles, for your call. I appreciate it. 907-433-3150, 907-433-3150. The conversion rate is one of the big things and one of the big challenges um for folks who are trying you know who are trying to be convinced that converting to natural gas is the way to go uh now up in the interior um air quality is a huge deal uh down on the peninsula i know that there are a lot of people who have access to uh have have access to gas but i don't even think that's probably the majority of people because uh I know that I've spoken to many, many people who are on oil and would like to do it, but again, what you're going to be hit with as you hit that conversion point is that you're going to be hit with the costs, and it's going to be, it's going to be a significant investment. Um, Jim makes a valid point in the chat room. I had to chuckle because he said that, uh, um, he said that he had just uh, two years before the gas lines were laid at his house. He said we just spent over fifteen thousand dollars for the newest, best boiler. He said we're not converting for a while, and that's where I was at. You know, when I when they came through and they, I had just replaced my boiler like two years before. It cost me almost twenty thousand dollars to put in a Wiesman high efficiency ninety percent whatever efficient boiler. I was not making another conversion over to that any time in the near future. I was still, I mean, we still had to do the payback on that. Um, you know, by the time it was all said and done. Um, but, I mean, this is the, you know, these are the challenges. It would be nice to have access to all this stuff, but does it does it fiscally pan out? The question um, is, you know, the question is, is, you know, does it do that? And most of the time the answer is no, not without enough economy of scale to make it happen. I mean, that's the problem with the trucking. That's why in Fairbanks, the gas was essentially priced at right underneath what fuel oil would be on a per BTU basis. It was essentially neck and neck. Why? Because they had to pay the whatever the gas, the wholesale gas price was, and then they had to truck it up and store it and distribute it and everything else. It may be more clean in the long run for air quality, but it wasn't any cheaper and it wasn't and if it wasn't any cheaper in the long run, why should I have to spend fifteen ten fifteen twenty thousand dollars converting over to a system that doesn't really save me any money in the long run That's the problem you know it's you know i it, that's the problem in the long run now people in the chat room are all over the place telling me that it's snowing all around me. <laughs> Snowing in Willow, snowing in Big Lake, snowing here, snowing there. Shut up. I don't want to hear about it. I don't want any snow till after Halloween. That's my goal. My goal is to have no (laughs) snow. That's happened once in 10 years. Uh, We came down here the first, that was the, that was the, the shocker. The first time, the first year we moved down here and it was our first fall uh, in the South Central area. And there was no snow on Halloween, and my kids were freaked out because they had never, they'd never gone trick or treating without snow, and it was just so weird for them. And they're like, "This is so weird. This is so bizarre." Anyway, it was a lot of, <clears throat> a lot of fun, but that it only happened that one year. It snowed every, it snowed every uh, Halloween since. But hey, I can. You know, I can keep my fingers crossed, right? I can keep my fingers crossed. That's the that's the thing right now. Uh, Chris Story is going to be coming up here at the end of the show to do our weekly Uplift Betterment segment and life coaching uh, session. That's coming up. Um, and uh, then tomorrow we're going to be talking with, uh, I think we're going to be talking with Mike Shower and some other guests as well. We're working on some things right now with that. Meanwhile, the phone lines are open right now. Uh, it's 907 433 3150. If you'd like to sound off, 907 433 3150. I would love to. I would love for everybody to be able to have access to gas and save as much money as I did um, on the utilities and everything else. I mean, that. That was a godsend for us when we can't. I mean, I tell the story all the time that in that first eight months, I probably saved close to $5,000 in utilities alone uh, just on moving down south. Plus, I didn't have to deal with this super cold weather and the dark and everything else. There was lots of positive. I wish everybody else was uh, had the ability to do that. But until we get the economy of scale and until we get enough demand and can have contracts signed and everything else to help offset that, we're just not going to see a lot of gas coming from the slope down to the, uh, down to the rest of the state. Um, now, Fairbanks is doing the trucking where they're trucking gas off the North Slope down to the Fairbanks area. But I can, without even seeing the whole plans and everything else, I can guarantee you that it will probably be fairly expensive compared to South Central gas, maybe cheaper than fuel oil, maybe not. Uh, but again, the big part is going to be that conversion. That is the part that's going to stop a lot of this change. Is that it's going to be, you know, it's, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's one of those things. Uh, Does anyone remember the five houses on the Kenai that blew up because of a natural gas leak? A diesel boiler malfunctions and it doesn't charbroil you. Yeah, but that's that. Uh, come on, Leila. That's the that's the balance between. That's the balance between uh, – there's always a cost-benefit analysis on that. Yeah, sure, that happens, but how how often does that happen kind of thing versus, uh, you know, your fuel oil not working or your fuel oil being so expensive that you can't afford it. I mean, there's been plenty of times when, when uh, uh, you know, I have wished to have a little bit cheaper heating. I mean, if I had the heat costs that I have here – in down in the Matsu, if I had those heat costs back when I was up in Fairbanks, it would have been a huge factor in me remaining in Fairbanks because the, you know, the costs of heating were eating me alive. Uh, that's, I mean, it's just the bottom line. We'd done everything we could to, into uh, you know, insulate the house. We'd done all the, the extra things. We'd put the, we'd blown the whole insulation into the roof thing and we'd, tightened up, put all the windows in, and we done all we done everything that we could do to make our house as energy compliant as possible, and the heating costs were still eating me alive. So again, when I'm paying a 10 maybe 10 or 15% of what I was paying for heating uh, well, maybe probably closer to 20%. I'm probably paying closer to 20% down here of what I was paying to heat up there. That's a real deal. I mean, that's a real deal. And what happens when Cook Inlet has more has no more gas? Well, we'll import gas. They're already talking about that. They're going to import gas down on you know they'll they'll bring it into I guess Nikiski or somewhere, and then they'll bring it up. That's what's going to happen. Is it going to get more expensive? Probably. Probably. Uh, I mean, that's you know. But of course nobody yeah Brian but you're right Brian nobody wants to talk about like nuclear. I mean that is the cheapest, most affordable, most cost-effective you know in the long run is nuclear and nobody really wants to talk about that. Um and that's unfortunate because we could solve all the power problems in the world if we would just if we would just take a look at something like that. It's, uh, it's, uh, you know, it's just, it's crazy. It's crazy where we're at right now with this, but here we are in like the coldest state in the nation with the longest number of winter and cold heat days and everything else. Uh, and we're, I feel like we're fighting over scraps. We're sitting on the pile. We have all this, we have all this, uh, Great opportunity with all these natural resources, and we're just sitting on this pile of gold complaining that we don't have enough money because it just is not – it's just not economically viable for it to all work out, and that's that's a shame. That is a true, true shame. All right. Um, Yeah, we're talking about gas infrastructure when nuclear is the way. I don't – you know – I think it could be done safely. I think it could be done affordably. I think it is the economic future. And instead, people are letting their emotions go wild and they're tearing that stuff out and doing everything else. It's just, it's so frustrating. All right, we got to go. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Chris Story up next. Um, let me see. Let me see what we got going on here uh, I think it's all about scale genie Jeannie says heating with gas isn't all that cheap. I put in a wood stove as a primary source and set the gas furnace to come on at sixty. Well, that's great, but uh when you're saying not all that cheap, what do you mean? How much money are we talking about here? because in Fairbanks, it was um. You know, when I'm paying a thousand dollars a month to heat the house, if it was five hundred dollars to heat the house with gas, that's cheap comparatively, right? I mean, that that's the kind of money where, yeah, 200 bucks a month for gas, that's not a bad deal. 200 bucks a month for gas, not a bad deal, Jeannie. I would take that all day long. That's what I bought when I'm paying right now, is 200 bucks a month for gas. That's cheap, cheap. In Fairbanks, yeah, in Fairbanks, it was 90 bucks a month in Fairbanks just to keep in the summer when it was hot, just to keep my hot water going. Okay, now I know six people, showers, the whole deal, uh, and the furnace had to stay up to speed, et cetera, et cetera. But just in the summer, it was 75 bucks a month. In the winter, if I got out for a seven or $800 heating bill, I was doing pretty good. And the one month it was $1,400 to heat the house, right? I mean, that's, that's where it's all, that's where it's at right there, baby. That's some, so yeah, 200 bucks a month, cheap, 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 cheap. cheap. Um, all right. Why? Whoops. No. No trying to get I'm trying to get connected here Uh, come on there we go come on let me try this again here I'm trying to get this thing squared away with Chris yeah Melissa says it's 800 bucks a month for her to heat her house right now that is significant so yeah, two hundred bucks a month, Genie. I know that probably ninety percent of the people in Fairbanks would take that as a cheap alternative. What they're doing. So remember, it's always about it's always about scale and uh, and uh, location, and it's all relative at that point. Sorry, I'm trying to get my phone connected here so that we can call Chris. And there we go. Try that, see. What is going on here? Uh Uh-huh. Do I have my phone turned all the way down? Yeah. That was the problem the whole time. Yeah, the whole time was that I had the phone turned all the way down because I'm an idiot. All right, let's, uh, let's try this again. And we will connect it one more time. Okay. All right. Uh, We're getting ready to go here. Let's, um, there we go. There we go. We got that. Let's call Chris Story here and get him on the phone and see what he has to say, what our topic is going to be for the day and everything else. Let's see if we can get him squared away here. Uh, good morning michael good morning my friend how are you
5: doing good doing good as you got angrier and angrier you started channeling christian from the making a man it was great <laughs> great i'm just oh.
3: <laughs> yeah me angry. i'm gonna turn this thing up right here it's gonna be all bad a, mama didn't talk to me that way all right um well, that's more of the sling blade <laughs> yeah
0: sling blade sling blade
3: um all right. Uh, the, what's our topic for today, Chris, before I go quick back to the chat room here?
5: Local for local puffs.
3: Local for local puffs? Loco for local puffs. Oh, loco for local puffs. Okay. All right. Got it. All right. I'll hold on a second here. I'm going to put you on hold. Let me go back to the chat room real quick because uh, 200 month for gas in the, in the winter. Whoa. And 36 in the summer. Well, you're doing pretty good. Yeah. Um, uh, $800 a month is what Melissa play, pays. It's all relative, Michael. We don't get as cold in the Kenai. True, we don't get as cold down on the South Central either. But, again, when you say 200 bucks is expensive, I'm just like, well, I would really like to show you. Uh, at to what they're offering in Fairbanks. The two reasons are my reasons for not converting. Safety matters and feel is a lot safer. And if the cooking runs out, we're, we're down to trucking. Do you know how many days of winter in the Attigan Pass? So Leela's giving all the reasons why she wouldn't convert. My dream for heat is thermal, says Mike. I know there's a lot of people out there that do that. Um, yeah, it's a there's a lot of stuff out there. All right. Um, did Chris's friends who got raided by the feds come out okay? The Hoopers? Um, we could talk about that later. Here we go. Jumping back into it. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense Radio. <laughs> Okay, it's that final segment of the day, and we are ready to do it. We're joined uh, this morning by Chris Story, the man, the myth, the uh, the the goo the guru of positivity. He joins us this morning to talk about being local for loco puffs. I don't know what that means. It's kind of like cocoa for. Dude, that sounds dude that sounds really like weird loco for loco puffs what's going on my friend what uh, what's on your mind Stoner
5: <laughs> um, Self-improvement but with self-improvement I think equals mastery over self or self- empowerment okay. so there's no better way to empower yourself than to realize there's something you can do. Oh, my God, the world is on fire. We're at the edge of World War III without any popcorn. And what are you going to do? Well, I think self-empowerment and self-realization is what you can do. Something right now, when you realize there is something you can do, then you're going to feel 2,000% better. You'll be more effective. You'll be just happier in general, and your life will be more meaningful. So what can you do right now in the state of the world today? You can get loco for local buffs. In other words, start where you are and act locally, buy locally, vote locally, empower people to run for office right in your own backyard and support the people that do, support people that are running businesses right where you are. For more than 75 years, Michael, major food marts and supermarkets and the like have been studying you. at at a very intimate level with cameras. Well, right now today, you know that there are retinal scanners that are watching your eye movement when you get to counters, when you get to freezers, they watch, and it's computerized. In other words, they're looking for how you approach any particular product on the shelves. This is happening in real time, even in Alaska and some of our major grocery stores. That's not new. Really? 75 years ago, DuPont studied you and they had cameras Now, obviously, this is, you know, probably didn't hide them very well, probably cut a hole in a piece of faceboard and stuck a big camera behind it (laughs) in, you know, 1950. But nevertheless, you've been studied. You are a guinea pig for these major brands. And in turn, brands would compete and bid for placement based on how you shop. In 1954, like I said, this DuPont conducted this study all through the 50s, but it started in 54. And the suppliers are then given this data behind the scenes. And stores, major supermarkets, allow them to bid, these suppliers to bid on where they're going to put their products, pay extra for it. You and I are walking through these stores as guinea pigs. uh, and and We're walking through life as guinea pigs, television commercials, everything from pharmaceuticals to whatever else you're being manipulated constantly. So what can you do about it? Just, I mean, you could sit here, we could complain about it the next 10 minutes, or you could do something. You can wake up and insist that you and your family shop as local as possible. There are butchers in your backyard. There are independent grocery store owners in Mm -hmm. your own backyard. There are places you can go and shop today that might not be as simple or as easier as one stop or convenient, but you can do it. And you can get loco for your local puffs, including bookstore owners, which we know booksellers buying large independent booksellers are is left is it get even still I <laughs> it's want you to go in there and ask them, Hey, would you order Robert Kennedy's book on Dr. Fauci? I know that I know it's antithetical to your beliefs, and you won't carry it next to uh, Ibrahim X kanji's and all all the you won't care. I understand. Would you just order it for me? And it makes them sick to order it, but they'll do it. And you're supporting a local independent bookseller, which we want to be healthy, even though they're leftist. I'm kind of
3: heaved out by the whole thing of the uh, watching the my, you know, doing my retinas and watching where my eye looks. And I mean, is this a thing? I mean, I didn't even know this was a a thing. So they're they're literally watching all this stuff all the time to get your reaction to try and figure out how to bamboozle you more or how to direct you more.
5: Yeah, how to how to be yes. It's all about manipulation. Uh, I just read a book, interesting book, and this is for the betterment of salespeople. It's called pre-manipulation, but it's happening constantly. We are, we are one big soup of a psychological experiment, and it's happening. This isn't paranoia or tinfoil hat talk. This is just literally what's happening. And until you go into say IGA in in Kenai, or you go into Echo Lake meets in sold or you're going to Kohl's Market in Homer, Alaska, or you go into whatever store is independently owned in your own backyard, that's where we ought to be shopping. That's where our dollars should go. It's time to wake up our local coffee suppliers. I know that, you know, the, the Starbucks is convenient and, and I think that's some great flavors that, you know what, that's a pipeline of money out of the state by and large. Number one, number two, you're constantly being manipulated in that store and by their own agenda. Shop local. Get local, loco for local puffs and the community, and you will be more empowered and better off. This is a variation
3: on the this is a variation on what I've been talking about as far as news and politics and things like that, right? Because local is what matters. We can't affect the national. We can't do a lot of that stuff. So this is kind of a continuation of that same theme of focusing on what local you know, local is all
5: about. And get local. The next time Senator Sullivan is in town, in your community, ask him why he didn't support Kelly Chewbacca. Ask him straight up. Don't, don't let him uh, filibuster and talk about the caucus and, well, we need to follow the party. Say, sorry, not in our backyard, buddy. If you want to be local, you want to be an Alaskan, you have to do more than show up here once in a while, dance around the Kenai River and take your pictures with Ted Cruz. You need to, you, Senator Sullivan, need to be responsible to the locals and tell us exactly why you ousted Kelly Javaka from the race by supporting Lisa Murkowski because Mitch McConnell told you to. That's local. Let's get local. And, and we don't need to be threatening or angry. Uh, I've gotten past my anger at him towards that, and i am just literally committed to even <laughs> never receiving the seat again. I told the same thing to Mark Begich. I said, if you vote for yeah. Obamacare, I'll do everything within my power to make sure you never get reelected. Guess what? You didn't get reelected. Yeah, good thing your anger's
3: behind you because you don't sound angry at all.
1: <laughs> I don't <laughs> sound good at all. But, I mean, it's like, well,
3: what can
5: you do? It's so I know, frustrating. I know. It is frustrating. It, and yet, wait a minute. You can do something. Act local. Talk to Senator Sullivan's team all around Alaska, push back on these issues. Why are you supporting billions going to Ukraine and not the border? Why, you know, it's something you can do locally. You can't reach out and and smack Mitch McConnell, but we can talk directly to our representatives and our senators. We can shop locally. We can act locally, buy independent as much as possible. That's the number one lever that we've got in our own hands. And if we don't do it today, well, we're selling out our future.
3: And in some areas, that's easier than others. I mean, in Homer, there's a, it's mostly local, right? I mean, in some areas, you know, people live in Anchorage or in Wasilla. No. You get access to a lot more of the national brands or whatever. But it's oh, still- no, not at
5: all. For example, uh, Shaving War, all around Alaska, is owned by a very hateful, angry person out of Washington State. Um, <laughs> nice people work in these stores, but he's a very hateful, angry person out of Washington State. And every time he shopped there... It's a pipeline of money going down to Tacoma. He just bought a $6 million home, I'm told, Oh wow. uh, in in Washington State in the Seattle area. So that's where your money's going, or you could support locally owned on, and operated. Right.
3: It may be a little more inconvenient. It may cost a little more, but in the long run, are mm-hmm. you supporting the local economy?
5: Exactly. So, I mean, we have to go out of our way to get to a locally owned grocery store even here, but it's worth it.
3: And how do we apply this to uh, to everything? I mean, this is, you know, how we support our local, you know, economy and everything else. Do you want to fold this back towards, uh, you know, our own self-help and our own, uh, you know, your backyard millionaire kind of premise? This is the same kind of thing, right? You focus local with that as well.
5: Yes. Yeah. Your local market relative to real estate. Self-improvement equals self-empowerment. When you feel empowered, you can't help but improve both your life and those around you. If you feel disempowered, if you feel disaffected, if you feel that there's nothing you can do that's gonna make a difference, that leads to frustration and anxiety, and you may not even realize or be conscious of the anxiety you're feeling. And then you get the lever of control back in your hands and you feel a little bit better about it. It's like the reason we get nervous, anybody who gets nervous about flying, because you're not in control. Oh, but okay, you could still just sit back and relax, uh, and you'll get to their destination eventually. I'm offering you the yoke. I'm saying take the reins. This is yours. You get to steer this car, this bus, this wagon, whatever you want, whatever conveyance, means of conveyance you want to analog, you know, you know, make analogous here. It's yours. It's up to you. You have complete control over your future, your destiny, and your local community, and through it, your country. That's how our realtor motto goes, which realtors are under pretty big assault and attack right now nationally. But we talk about we are here to help you widen the opportunity to enjoy your property. We're going to improve your life, the community, and through it, your country. And that's what you can do every single day. It's totally in your hands. If you are empowered.
3: You say realtors are under attack. What are you talking about? I mean, apparently I'm out of the loop here. What's what's going on?
5: Well, a major class action lawsuit set to go to court October 16th. Uh, And it's all it's about the uh, antitrust. It's a Sherman antitrust uh, class action lawsuit. It's a shakedown. It more or less is a shakedown, I believe, will prevail um, and it will come out all right. But it's just it's it's this miss. It's a misinterpretation of the real estate industry as a whole and an opportunity for lawyers and and, um, big banks. And now I just sound paranoid, but (laughs) big banks and lawyers and tech companies (laughs) to try to crush the realtor organization and, and eliminate realtors and it ain't going to happen. Been around right. for 120 years. We're going to be around for the next 120 years.
3: Yeah. Because I mean, Hey, most people don't want to navigate those waters by themselves anyway. I think they're happy to happy to have a realtor help them out. Um, all right. And it's, uh, it's all local. Yeah. loco for local puffs. Uh, I, I mean, I kind of like that idea. It can be um, a little more expensive, um, but in the long run, I guess we're keeping the money local and we're supporting the community.
5: As much as possible. Yep, exactly. self looking ice cream cone. Let's keep it as much local as possible. It's very similar to your stance on the dividend, how it gets spent, what, yeah. six times more within the state of Alaska. Same thing with local dollars spent locally. And obviously, there are certain brands and things you, you have to order in, and, and some companies um, I would love to put on a, a symposium for locally owned stores to help offset some of the frustration that consumers and customers feel when they walk in and there isn't a product they want. And maybe you get the wrong clerk on the wrong day. He's like, mm, don't have it. <laughs> well, could you, could no, you so order I, it? I mean, I,
3: look, no. I would I would definitely say that some local business owners need to work on their PEF, which is the personal experience factor inside of the store. Uh, yeah, you should have a symposium to teach them about, you know, that experience for the customer as they come through the door. That should be the most important thing. You're you're 100% right there. I think most business owners could benefit from that. All right, well, Chris Story, local for local puffs. Uh, keep it local. Keep it going. Author of The Backyard Millionaire, I love ilovehomeralaska.com is his website. You can go there and find all the links to everything you need. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate you coming on board.
5: Thank you, Michael. Great uh, day.
3: All right, folks, we are out of time. We got more coming up tomorrow. The Michael Duke Show. Be kind, love one another, live well. Uh, Chris, are you still there? Any final thoughts?
5: Yeah. Is there, no, no, that's it, Michael. I think, um, yeah, just it makes me feel good. So I thought if it makes me feel good to feel empowered and that there's something that I can do, <clears throat> I would share that message because it just, it is frustrating to watch the world set itself on fire, and <laughs> yeah, ah, what can I do today? But just keep my nose to the grindstone. Well, there is something you can do, and you can empower yourself by acting local where you are with
1: what you've got.
3: No, I, I agree totally. I, I, I agree, but I think you you that that final little nugget on the end there. I would love to see a business owner or somebody like you become a coach for some of these businesses because. There's been plenty of local businesses that you walk into and they make you feel like, you know, they're doing you a favor by waiting on you or they're, you know, they're just not, they need that personal experience factor to be increased. Uh, We talk about that in radio and advertising and we try with our clients when we're talking about advertising, we're trying to encourage them to up that PEF for their businesses because I said, you know, we can get them in the door, but if you insult them and make them feel horrible, they're going to walk right out. That advertising is not going to work. You know so right, it, right. And, and how many small businesses do we know that they're they love what they do they love the 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 who's what's or whatever but they're just not a people person and sometimes it shows we need to work on that
5: and what i love i don't know if you've ever read the blue ocean strategy but that was an incredible book i read that in about 2006 and and modeled uh somewhat in into a great extent modeled my my company when we opened our own brokerage in 2007 on that model Blue Ocean Strategies, essentially, you are offering a different, unique experience, and you're you're not in competition with anybody. You're not in competition with anybody. That's the Red Ocean. That's the bloody Red Ocean. You're only in competition to do the best you can possibly do and uh, create a unique experience that um, can't help but succeed. So, yeah, I I love empowering local, this idea of shopping local whenever and however possible. There's always going to be something you need to order in, but, man, there's so much more we could turn our attention to here locally if we would just if we just do it. Yeah,
3: absolutely. All right, well, Chris, thank you so much, my friend. Good to hear from you. We will talk to you again soon.
5: And I didn't mean to say that I single handedly uh, ousted Mark Baggage, but that's the way it came across too. Because sometimes on I my mind, it. I do feel like it was just. Me. I love
3: it. Hey, no, <laughs> I mean I will give you credit where credits due. It's all you, baby. Okay. Now, thank if you, you, it if, was you can, all me. if you can only do the same thing with Sullivan. Right, I mean, just now. Work. Don't
5: worry, though; they're all going to land just like Mark Begich landed a six hundred thousand dollar consultancy <laughs> in Washington D.C., which is code for lobbying. uh They aren't going to get hurt. Six hundred grand; they're only making one seventy a year in, in Congress or Senate. Yeah. So six hundred—that's it. That's an increase. If we were just to help Sullivan get that consultancy, he'd be making six hundred k a year. Yeah,
3: I know. That's what we need. Right? Let's help him. Boy, that
5: revol- yeah, we can do that locally. That
3: revolving door, just frustrating mm. to watch. All right, my friend. Well, it's good to talk with you. We will All catch you okay, later. Thanks. Thanks. All right. Bye bye. Thanks for being a part of it. All right, folks, we gotta go. Uh, the uh, Michael Duke Show continues. We will be back with more tomorrow. Be kind. Love one another. Live well do all the happy happy stuff and we will see you then don't forget to check out the common sense core by the way right there if you want to help support the show right right there check it out all right but we will see you tomorrow have a good one enjoy